Hello, I'm Jackie Mangavin, and this is Love Life with Jax, a podcast about living a wholehearted life, about freeing your naked soul and connecting to the world in love. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe on JackieMangavin.com, on iTunes, or the Podbean app. Stay tuned for episode six, where we cut through the barriers to entry around intimacy with one drop of a sword. Welcome to episode six of a podcast where I share wisdom from my moments with God as we go on a journey of stripping off the suffocating layers of self-preservation, learning to live exquisitely, nakedly alive to life, and learning to love without reservation. Love is an adventure of trust and intimacy and forgiveness and trying again. Opening your soul to love is the bravest thing you'll ever do. Because opening your soul to love is probably the most vulnerable thing you'll ever do. We're busy chatting through the book of Song of Songs, which is an allegory of love in the Bible. It's an allegory of a groom and a bride, but also Jesus and us, his church. This is the Song of Songs by the wisest man that ever lived. I think you'll agree as you follow along with me on this adventure. In this book, the dance of intimacy begins with two simple words. Let him. Would you dare? We heard last episode about kisses from God, a kiss of life that breathes life into us, but not only life, courage. We heard about a poetic wordplay on the word kiss, the Hebrew word for kiss being the same, which means to equip or to arm for battle. He equips us with his kiss. It is the essential start to a journey of letting love in. Kiss me with kisses, we read. And kisses is almost the same word as to take a drink of wine. And there is, again, a metaphor that happens as he equips us with the intoxicating warmth of his love. He kisses us brave. I just love that idea of being kissed brave. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity of someone taking you in their arms and kissing you before you have to go out and do something scary, something that's big and difficult for you. Somebody that can love you before that moment and send you out into your day brave because you've been kissed brave. This is the second part of our Song of Songs series, and I have no idea how long we're going to go on for. We're just going to let the book take us along. In this part, we find that as love shows itself worthy, there becomes this moment where we have to reflect inside, where we want to judge ourselves and our own worthiness of receiving it. So as love shows itself worthy, there is a reflection where we wonder about our worthiness of receiving it. We're in Song of Songs in chapter 1, verse 5, and there is a moment again where the bride is speaking to her friends and she's realizing that she doesn't feel worthy. And she says, Jerusalem maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I'm so unworthy, so in need. She admits that it is twilight darkness. She can't see clearly, but in her opinion, she is so unworthy, so in need. And her groom speaks over her. Jesus speaks over us as we say this and says, yet you are so lovely. And she says, I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. And he speaks again and says, yet you are so lovely, like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. 
And three things I want us to notice here is, first of all, she admits how she feels. She has a base zero to begin from. Secondly, she lets him know that she feels like an outsider. She doesn't feel included. And thirdly, she lets him convince her otherwise. And this is so important. In this relationship with him, she doesn't run away. She feels unworthy. She lets him know that she feels like an outsider. But she stands her ground. She doesn't hide. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the strength to stand in the face of fear. And we hear here that she's not hiding. Unlike Adam and Eve, when they felt guilty, they hid away from God. They hid in a bush and said that they were unworthy. And yet she doesn't. She stands in front of him. She stands and she says, I feel unworthy. She's not hiding from him. She yields to him. As we heard in the episode, before that she lets him, let him kisses. She yields to him. She surrenders to him. She gives in. There's this moment of giving herself up to him. And I would wonder if you would picture for me, if you were like Adam and Eve, hiding in the bush, feeling unworthy, feeling like you're not worth this love that clearly is so amazing, that you would have the courage to step out, that you would lift up your hands almost as an act of surrender, like one being arrested, and give yourself up to him. She admits, number one, that she is in need. There's this candid acknowledgement that is needed of who we are and who we're not. And this really does trip up people who don't understand unconditional love, who've never experienced unconditional love. A love that loves them no matter what they've done, no matter how worthy they are, that loves them because of the worthiness of the love. We're speaking a lot in this podcast and just around many people in the world are speaking about the importance of knowing ourselves, of self-knowledge, but it is very difficult to go on a journey of discovering who we are and discovering our identities unless we have the courage to do so because we're hopeful of God's love. We're hopeful that no matter what we discover, no matter what we uncover about ourselves, God will still love us. And God has a fix-all solution for this problem. A solution that is so simple, it really does cut through the barriers to entry around intimacy with one drop of a sword. And I want to tell you a little story. It might be a little bit off topic, maybe, but seeing as I've got the microphone and this was a moment for me of coming before God. I had this moment. I was driving a car. We had an accident. My daughter was in the car. She was very badly injured. Many of you know the story. And she ended up having to have brain surgeries and many weeks after the accident, she had had a miraculous recovery. God really did intervene and step in for us. But the surgeon told us that she would have a deformity in her skull for the rest of her life. And I brought that before God. Well, before I brought it before God, I sat on my bed and wrestled with it for a while. And I didn't think I was responsible for the accident. And yet I was the one driving. So who else could be responsible? It was my fault. And yet I didn't know if I was guilty. Should I be saying sorry? Should I be repenting? Should I be, how should I deal with it? If it was my fault or it wasn't my fault, was I just experiencing trauma? I didn't know what to do. And as my thoughts were running around in circles, as my emotions were running around in circles, I was just coming up with this knot and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I felt like a little kid that had been fiddling with a knot, trying to undo it themselves, and yet coming to this moment of realizing they were just making it worse and they needed to offer it up to God. It 
reminded me of a story in history, the Gordian Knot. I don't know if you've heard of it. It is a story about Alexander the Great, and he is traveling through into Asia. He's coming from Greece. He's traveling around, conquering the land, and he arrives in a state called Phrygia, and there is a legend. There is a complicated knot in the square, in the town square of Phrygia, and the legend has it that anybody who can undo this knot will be able to conquer the whole of Asia. And so he tries his hand at undoing the knot. The knot is from their Phrygian history. They had a king who arrived on a, an ox cart, and this ox cart with this complicated knot around the yoke of the ox cart had been dedicated to the gods. But whatever the, the backstory is, Alexander the Great needs to undo this knot, wants to undo this knot, so that he will have history on his side. He will have the prophecy on his side of being able to conquer Asia. And so he tries to, and he struggles to untie it, but he has no success. It is several knots tied together and entangled so complicatedly and intricately that it's impossible to see how they were fastened. And so he fiddles with it for a while and comes up with the same problem that I found myself having of being unable to untie it and just making it worse. And then he reasons that it makes no difference how the knot is loosed. And so he draws his sword and slices it in half with a single stroke. And he carries on to conquer Asia and fulfills the prophecy. And so I found myself in that same situation, offering this messy knot up to God and hoping that he had the one stroke fits all, the sword that would be able to cut through the knot and undo it all with one stroke. And he did. He gave me a single word, repent. And that word might seem strange to you because repenting usually is associated with knowing what we've done wrong, knowing and being able to give exact definition to it. But also sometimes it's just offering our mess up to God and saying, God, it's all a mess and I don't know what to do with it. Will you help me? And just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the parts that are my fault. And I'm sorry for the fact that it happened, even if it wasn't my fault. I'm just, I'm sorry, God. I want to turn away from this. I want to leave it in your hands and walk away. And he can do that for us as we offer up our unworthiness. I don't know what has made me unworthy. I don't know what I'm responsible for. But I just say, God, I'm not sure if I'm worthy of your love. I offer it all up to you, this complicated mess of thoughts and emotions. And in that moment, as you repent, as you give it over to him, he responds with the solution of it all as he takes it from you and he answers and he says, yet you are so lovely. He gets to speak over you as you give it to him, as you allow him to be the problem solver, as you bring this problem to him of your unworthiness. He can fix it all with one single statement. And it doesn't matter if this is the first time that you've ever repented, if you're repenting of all the sin you've ever done and everything that you've ever thought in your past and offering it all up to him, or whether it's just, oh God, I just haven't connected with you for a few days or a few hours. I just feel like far away from you. I'm sorry. And you can offer that up to him and he can fix it in one moment. He gets to accept us at that ground zero, at that starting point. He knows how to reach us at that moment. And she does that to him and he receives her. Yet you are so lovely. And then she admits to him that she feels like an outsider, that she feels as dark as the tents of the wandering nomads. The word there is the tent curtains of Kedar. 
So Kedar is a wordplay in Hebrew because it means dark. It means that she feels as dark as the dark tense. But it's also the name of the son of Ishmael. She feels like a son of Ishmael. And if you know the story, God chose a man called Abraham and promised him a son through which we would be able to step into the promises of God and step into his love. And unlike Adam, who had been hiding and who had been responsible for humans wanting to hide from God and be apart from God, we could step into a promise of being with God, being in Christ. If you didn't listen to episode three and four, you can go back and listen to what it means now that we're stepped into Christ. So Abraham had a son, Isaac, who was the son of the promise, and Ishmael was the one who was not the son of the promise. And that's how she feels. She feels like an outsider. She feels like a son of Ishmael, like Kedar. She feels like she is dark and in a desert place. And amazingly, if we do a quick study of that word Kedar, that name, it's mentioned elsewhere. It's mentioned in Psalm 120, where the psalm says, why am I doomed to live as an alien, as an outsider? I feel like I'm stuck among people who don't know God. Am I destined to dwell in the darkened tents of Kedar, the tents of those desert nomads, those who are on the outside, those who don't have a place to belong to? And this psalm is an important psalm because it's a part of a series of psalms, part of a group of psalms. There's 15 of them, and they are called the Songs of Ascent. They sung one after another, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And you are supposed to sing those as you go up the steps into the temple. So this would be the first step. As you stand on that first step, you admit that you feel like you're destined to dwell in the desert tents of the desert nomads. You feel as we live in this world, as we're aliens in this world, living where we don't belong, where there is sin and darkness and horrible things all around us. But it's a starting point as we go up these steps in ever-increasing intimacy, ever-increasing closeness to achieving walking into the presence of God, into his temple. And so we start in this place because of the world that we're living, because as we go about our days, we again are exposed to this darkness and the things that are rife in this world. And so she starts there, but she allows him to take her to a new place. And so his response to her feeling like a dark, dusty tent is that he says, you are so lovely like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. He says you are not only as beautiful as an artwork, you are the artwork that hangs in the holy place. If you go right up the steps to the temple, through the temple and into the place that is the holiest of holies, the place where God's presence is, where his intimacy is, that's where he says she is. Our identity is not only in Christ, in the promise, but it's in the future. It's in our destination. It's where we're going and it's in the most holy place. That is how he sees us and that is how he sees the bride in the story. So as she admits to him how she feels, that she feels like an outsider, he says to her, in me, in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, who have accepted him, in me, you belong in the most holy place. You are a beautiful artwork right in that place. And she doesn't run away. She lets him convince her otherwise. She doesn't hide from his words. As she began, I'm in twilight darkness, and so this is how I feel. I'm living in this world of confusion where it feels like there's still a veil sometimes between us and God, and yet he would 
would say, but you belong in the holy place. That is how I see you. And so today, as we said last week about kisses that make us brave, today we're speaking about love that makes us beautiful. We're going to let him kiss us brave and love us beautiful. I just love that statement. I think I'm going to get it inscribed above my bed. Kiss me brave, love me beautiful. Isn't it a beautiful concept that his kisses allow us to go on this journey? They make us brave. They give us the courage to stick it out, even when we turn our attention on ourselves and realize, oh, I'm unworthy and there's parts about me that I'm confused about and I don't understand. And should I stop here? Should I stay in hiding? And he says, no, don't stay on the bottom step. Don't stay in the world of messiness and dust and guilt and everything that you're feeling down here. Continue on this journey. Come all the way up the steps because all the way up the steps through the temple, there is a holy place and that is where I see you. That is where you belong as an artwork in that place. Let him kiss me brave. Let him love me beautiful. Thank you for joining me on Love Life with Jax, where we learn to live into our created purpose of receiving and giving the love of God. This podcast is my way of sharing the love of God with others, so I would love it if you shared this with your world. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or the Podbean app, and while we're spreading the love, maybe you can even write a review for me on iTunes. Proverbs says, Wisdom is a deep well of understanding opened up within you as a fountain of life for others. My hope and prayer is that today you've found something here to refresh your soul. Thank you for listening to Love Life with Jax. Until next time, live a life of love.